Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Oh, what a great day in church. Um, um, if you sense me online being a little bit emotional, it's because, you know, we, it's, um, we've just received our missions offering and it was wonderful. <laughs> and um, I don't know about you, but on my own, I definitely couldn't do that. <laughs> Could we? A couple of us might do something a little bit all right, but look what we can do together. So don't tell me the church is irrelevant (laughs) because, you know, I just know I could feel the prayers of our our children, you know, all around the world. They've been praying that we be blessed even in this season And and it flows back to them. Do you see? That's God's kingdom. How good is that anyway? Um, I'm going to get straight into it this morning and um, I know the Holy Spirit's doing something this morning because, um, you know, the the word that Taylor had um, for the offering is my scripture today. (laughs) So how good. I love when God layers. It gives me a little bit of confidence. It should give you confidence too, Taylor. Okay, a picture's going to come up of the great fire of Rome. Now, if I had a title... I'm not real good with titles, but I would say if I was being creative today, I might have called my sermon, Rome is Burning. On July 19, back in 64 AD, the city of Rome began to burn. It began in the merchant shops around the great chariot stadium stadium called the Circus Maximus. After six days, the fire was brought under control and before they could even assess the damage, it relit and burned for another three days. In the aftermath of the fire, two-thirds of Rome had been destroyed. Legend says that the emperor at the time, Nero, played his fiddle while Rome burned. And in that devastating aftermath, rumours began circulating that indeed it was the leader, that it was Nero who had set fire to Rome and was responsible for that Uh, as he wanted to get rid of the little wooden um, shacks scattered amongst the streets of Rome and make room for grander and greater structures. Nero wasn't having any of being blamed for that and so he looked for a scapegoat, and he landed on the Christian community. That marked the outbreak of serious persecution of Christians to the point of martyrdom. They were tortured. They were sewn into skins of wild beasts. They were made to crawl around theatres on all fours. While they were set upon by lions and other wild animals, they were hunted by wild dogs. They were crucified. In Nero's palace garden, it was said that he took Christians and coated them with tar, tied them to posts around the garden and set them alight so that they could provide light for his party. Is there any wonder that the church of that day believed that Nero was the Antichrist and that Jesus would return at any moment? A shockwave went out from Rome into the Christian community. With that shockwave went a small letter from the Apostle Peter 
to get people ready for what he knew would not be confined just to Rome, but would eventually spill out to the whole empire. That wave of persecution would eventually take Peter's life, but not before he wrote his two epistles. That wave of persecution would take the Apostle Paul's life. He would be beheaded, but not before he wrote all of the prison epistles. The Apostle John survived that wave of persecution, but was exiled to the mines of Patmos. And there he wrote Revelation. So therefore, First Peter, that we're going to have a look at today, was written to Christians who were suffering. The surprising thing is that Peter didn't tell them, run, <laughs> run for your lives, get out of there. <laughs> but he to- told them how to endure. The letter tells us how to live in an increasingly hostile world. And it's relevant anytime and anywhere that people are fearful or facing uncertainty. And so I believe it becomes a now word for the Christian church in 2021, worldwide. After the year that we've had where so many have suffered and we're not sure about what the future might bring. And so what would the Apostle Peter say to us? And we're going to read our scripture, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, he should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So firstly, let's look at the first opening statement of that passage. The end of all things is near. Um, What this is effectually saying is that the world as we know it will come to an end. I wonder if you believe that. I know that science is divided on that. I know that some believing with certainty that the world is on a collision course... Um, and a destructive path, but others believing that the universe will always be. But Jesus was very clear that the universe does have a time limit. (laughs) He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He also followed the description in Matthew 24 about what things might look like in those last days before he comes and with the words that... And then the end will come. And so Christians, as Christians, we understand that our world had a beginning and that our world that we live in has an end. And Jesus also told us that it's really only God who knows when that end will come. 
and I think that was great wisdom. <laughs> you know, if he had told us when the end would come, and it was nowhere in our lifetime, in fact, it was thousands of years after we had graced this earth, then I don't think we would worry about it at all. But then if we knew it was in our lifetime, <laughs> there's pretty, it's pretty sure that we'd probably go into panic mode. <laughs> and I don't believe either of those um, situations are helpful. And so God in his wisdom has not made that known. But Paul, Peter says in his statement that it's near. And certainly there was a pervading belief if you read your new testament that they believed jesus would come back very soon and that end times would be close paul even had to address the thessalonians at one point because some of them had thought oh well if jesus has come back i don't need to go to work anymore i, I retire from now Woo-hoo. but then the other people in the church had to then as time went on look after them so he said you need to work <laughs> But you can understand why they thought that way. I'm sure some people questioned Peter, especially as the weeks led into months and months led into years. And he addresses this in his second letter. And he reminds them that God is outside of time and that to God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. He also says, God's not slow. In fulfilling his promise, he's patient with us, not willing that any should perish. And so, um, we understand that in this way, for our Christian worldview, it helps us. Because really, in God's time, it's only been a couple of days since Peter said that. (laughs) Uh, And it helps us because... Having that, that idea of a beginning and end helps us as Christians have great perspective on our life. I loved Roz's picture on Mission Sunday when she talked about perspective. They had shopped for an artwork and when they brought it home, the glass was smashed. We won't blame the person who picked it up at all about that. The glass was smashed and, and Mark asked Roz, are you disappointed? And she said, no. Because I've just read about our children in Nigeria. And see how the perspective is different. And so our worldview gives us a great perspective um, for life. Amongst the Titanic survivors, there's been many, many stories. But apparently there was a story about one woman who was very wealthy who was about to get on the lifeboat and ran back to her cabin. Now, many people had seen her wearing amazing jewels during during all of the balls and they thought she's gone back to get her diamonds. When she came back to the boat, she had a bag, a paper bag, and in it was oranges. And you can see that the trauma of what was happening had given her a very clear perspective on what was important. Oranges were going to be a lot more needed than diamonds at that point. And so, this is like us. So, Peter's speaking to us and he said, the end is near. 
We don't know when that is. But he says that there's four areas of our lives that we need to, that we can focus on, that we can get in line, that we can do. Therefore, he says, do these four things. So we impact four areas, and I'm just going to quickly talk about them now. The first one, and that'll, it'll come up there, is that be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can play, pray. So with that knowledge that the end is coming or is close, it's often the case that you would go into panic mode. Um, and with that, you can imagine the overwhelming nature of the mental things that you'd be going through as well. You can come out of balance mentally. You can also go into a fatalistic sort of a lifestyle and your morals might go out of balance because you think, well, what's the point? I'm going to not be here for long. I might as well do whatever I want and don't worry about anyone else. But according to Peter, for those who claim to follow Christ in this moment, it's vital that they keep their heads, <laughs> that they're level-headed, that they're clear-minded and self-controlled. You may be needed to help others. And if you're in panic mode, you'll be no good. We got lost once as teenagers, a group of us, in the Wadigan Mountains. And we were, we were very lost. And someone went into panic mode. And it really wasn't helpful at all. Uh, because others had to then help the person who's panicking instead of thinking about how we get out of here. <laughs> so um, your prayers are often the first thing that reflect mental pressure aren't they we can start praying panic prayers you know like people who don't even know God you know I saw a documentary on the fires down the central coast and I it just this man was describing the horror of what he saw coming and he said I'm not a religious man in any way I'm far from it but he said I was praying that day So if things get worse, <laughs> Christians will be needed to pray. What a wonderful thing that we can pray. No matter what our circumstance, you might look like the circumstances are absolutely hopeless. And all you've got to do is close your eyes. And he's there. We have prayer. And people will need us to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray things in, you know. Holy Spirit whispered to me recently something in our family that we're, that we're longing for. And he said, Donna, relaxed warfare. <laughs> I'd never heard that term before. <laughs> he said, it's, it's all about trusting me. But he said, you need to pray it in. I was like, yes, Lord. I need to pray that in. And remember Jesus in the garden, about to face that horrific, scene in the final stage and his disciples there I'm sure sensing the panic and sensing the urgency and what did he say to them watch and pray and so there's our first thing when we feel the end is near 
We'll be clear-minded, self-controlled so we can pray. So we move on. What do we do with our heart at this time? Above all, love each other deeply from the heart for love covers a multitude of sins. A normal reaction to knowing that time is short would be to retreat, become self-centred, withdraw from relationships, isolate, just keep connections to a few people. But here we're told, Peter says to the Christians, then let your love flow out. Don't contain your love. Let your love flow out. Not only that, you're told to love each other deeply from the heart. Love of God is not not restricted by harsh circumstances. And then it says something, for love covers a multitude of sins. And this little sentence has been debated by so many. What does this actually mean? Well, let me just tell you what I... It doesn't mean, okay, let's start with that. It doesn't mean that anyone can actually atone for anyone's sins or cover anyone else's sins. Only God can atone for someone else's sin. It doesn't mean that we should sweep sin under the carpet either. You know, that was a strategy Ivan and I used in our marriage early on, uh, a communication style that never really got us anywhere, sweeping things under the carpet. And the church has actually unfortunately done this in some areas. And maybe they've used scriptures like this out of context to do this. But no, it doesn't mean sweeping things under the carpet or not holding people to account for sin. What it means for me is that love is prepared to look past imperfections in others and see the gold. And our, our scriptures do tell us that things will get tougher in the world as it comes to an end. And the love of many will grow cold. But not in the church. Peter's saying no. Even though you can feel it coming, little Christians in Asia, it's coming across the empire, but don't retreat with your love. Let your love flow out. Let your heart be enlarged in those times not retreat as things get tough in the world. And this, this love, he says, is for each other too. So when the ship's going down, <laughs> the crew or the rescuers need to work together. Can I get an amen on that? You can imagine if you're in a fire engine and you're in complete broken relationship with the people in your thing, that is not going to go well, the approach to taking out that fire, is it? <laughs> and so as Christians, this is our distinctive, our love for each other. And we need us, if things get harder, we need to, to hang on to that. We need to get on the same team. You know, we need to make sure that um, we're efficient, that we have synergy, that there's trust here so that we can do what God asks us to do. You know, I think of Jesus, and this stuns me every time, that right in the middle of his most distressing time on the cross, what did he do? He thought of others in that moment. If anyone had an excuse to feel sorry for themselves, it could have been him in that point, but he said, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. And he looked at John and said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Thought of his mum in that time too. It's amazing how he did that. He looked at the thief next to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is the love that lives on the inside of us. That can go past sin. That can go past, you know, horrific scenes and still love. So there we go. What do we do with our mind? What do we do with our heart? And nextly, what do we do with our home? (laughs) And here's this verse. Offer hospitality to one without grumbling. That's probably the last thing you sort of think of doing is uh, having a dinner party when things are going down, isn't it? But, you know, what would you do if you knew the end was coming with your home? You know, would you lock it up and then just go on an eternal holiday? Or, you know, what would you do? You think, oh, well, I never have to clean it now. What's the point? (laughs) I remember when my mum, just before now we knew, we didn't know then, but you know, she was only weeks off passing away. And I used to go on a Thursday and do some housework for her. And this day she rang me early in the morning and said, what time are you coming? And I said, oh, I don't know. And she said, can you come a little bit earlier today? I've got people coming over. And I could, you know, it gave her a pep in her spirit to have people coming over. She still wanted to have people in her home and, and And it was important to her. And Peter says that hospitality will always be needed right up to the end, even though the end is near. Think about that. Hospitality will always be needed. So he says, show it ungrudgingly. And I think in the last days of human existence, whenever that may be, and we don't know. So we live like it's maybe in our lifetime. The Christian home rule is going to be one of the vital things for helping people. We saw that last year when we were told we couldn't meet in our church. What did we do? We met in our homes. (laughs) It didn't phase us at all. The, The Christian church understands the power of a home to gather people. And so if things get bad enough, We won't panic. (laughs) We'll know what we can do. And people will be looking for safe havens. There's nothing nicer than going to a home, is there? And it's a peaceful place. And having a meal. And, you know, Jesus did a lot of that. And enjoyed people's company. And there'll always be a place for hospitality. Hospitality is one of the things from the Jewish culture that was almost put in law, (laughs) that spilled over into the Christian church. And I love that. And a lot of their hospitality was to foreigners, giving them accommodation and food, because God said, never forget what it was like for you when you lived in Egypt. And so there we go. And our last thing is, what do you do with your gifts? And Tay already preempted me so well with this one. A natural reaction, maybe, would be, Stop using your gifts. They don't need me anymore. But I saw you all here this morning preparing church for it to happen. And we need you bad. (laughs) And um, Peter says, have the opposite reaction to that. Don't think you won't be needed. Have the opposite reaction. He gives two illustrations. A speaking gift 
and are serving gifts. And actually, I think, this is Donna speaking now, all the gifts can be summed up in those two, words and deeds. Words and deeds. You know, in Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are those who are busy doing what I've asked them to do when I return. So Peter says to his, the church who may be in fear, don't hold back. Use your gifts. And each one of you has a gift. And everything is needed. Why do we react like this? <laughs> Why do we, you know, with our mind, with our heart, with our homes, with our with our gifts, why as Christians would we react like this if things were getting worse? Well, I think the last verse sums it up. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Peter is encouraging us to live our lives in a way to bring glory to Jesus, to make him proud. David got this. <laughs> he said, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That he might be glorified. We sang that song, in all things, in all my life. I'm yours, Lord. Each of these things help us because they have an outward focus. When things get really tough, it's so easy to look inward. And all of these things have an outward focus, and that's God. That's who God is. He's love, and love is only an outward focus. It's wonderful. For the world will come to an end, church, whether it's in our lifetime or not. And, uh, but people will never come to an end. So that's our motivation to keep going. People will live on either with God or without God. And why would we not want to show them who he is? All things will come to an end, but God will never come to an end. He's eternal. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And he sits in eternity in his glory, glorified state. I read recently the scene in the throne room in, in Revelation. John was even struggling to put it into words, the amazingness <laughs> of that moment. You know, and that's what sits above everything that's happening in our world today. You know, in my lifetime, there's probably been at least three times where we really were told in the church that Jesus was imminently coming. I don't know if anyone remember when bank cards first came out, but the bank card had three things that looked like three sixes. And so um, people actually went round to churches and, and did big seminars on this. Um, but they never did a seminar when it, found, it worked out it wasn't true. Okay, they never went back and said, sorry, uh, I've thought about this 
since then because we also had the Left Behind um, movies um, back in my day as well and, and we were told in no certain detail what was about to happen. And then in the Y2K bug in, you know, when we turned over the century, many thought that would be the beginning of the end. And no one really came back and said, I got that wrong. But anyway, there's whispers out there now it, along the same lines. And church, I love prophecy more than probably most of you. <laughs> and I love pondering on those things. I love looking at world events. I love seeing things. But I keep it all in perspective. It always reminds me of Peter's words. Well, if the end is near, this is what you need to focus on. Don't become weird. Don't become irrelevant. Focus on the main thing. Okay, I need to wind up. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to say to you, he's the answer. You might be looking around at your world and it is slowly losing control. But Jesus gives peace and the answer to that. The peace for a Christian knowing the end. You know how when you know the end, it makes all the difference. Gives us peace. Gives us a firm place to put our feet. Gives us confidence to do life when we know the end. And one of the biggest things becoming a Christian did for me was to give me that inner peace because I was right with God and I knew that forever, no matter what happened here or now, forever, I would be with him. And I want to give anyone an opportunity this morning to connect with Jesus Christ. You do that simply by, I say bow the knee, but it's in your heart, bowing your knee to him and accepting him as your Lord and Saviour. I'm going to say a quick prayer and you can pray along with me in your heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and I realise I'm far from you and I don't have peace. I look at the world around me and it unsettles me and I need peace. I look at Jesus and I see someone who came to die for my sin, to offer me forgiveness, but to also give me life and assurance. And today I want to put my faith and my trust in him, acknowledging my sin and receiving his gift of eternal life. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And for us, I hope that these scriptures did for you what they did for me when I've been pointed there many times in these crazy days that we live in and that they just make you, encourage you, keep going, keep doing what you're doing, pray, love, eat <laughs> and serve. Thanks, church. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.